0: Time for the an announcement. Okay. okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town.
1: Santa!
0: Oh my God! Santa here? I know him. Does Santa Claus sleep they with his whiskers him. outside or in? Always sleep in the map. Cold air makes him them... grow.
1: Johnny, naughty. Johnny, clean up! Gary,
0: nice.
1: <laughs> Veronica, very nice.
0: In your dreams, playboy. How low can you get giving Chris Kringle a parking ticket on Christmas Eve? What's next, rabies shots for the Easter Bunny? Fragile. It must be Italian. I think that says fragile. Oh, well, yeah. we're gonna put on an APP on Big Bird. Attention, all units. Watch yellow birds. Silly boys. Where's Eddie? He usually eats these things.
1: Oh, not recently, Clark. He read the
0: squirrels were high in cholesterol. Don't ask him for a favor, cause his nastiness increases. Now crush the bread for those in need. No Jesus no for us, pieces. And since I am dead, I can take off my head to recite Shakespearean quotations. I'm in big trouble. Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: No. for all your posturing for all your little speeches you're nothing but a common
0: thief I am an exceptional thief Mrs. McLean and since I'm moving up to kidnapping you should be more polite it's Christmas Eve it's, it's a one night of the year when we all act a little nicer we smile a little easier we share a little more for a couple of hours out of the whole year we are the people that we always hoped we would be what did the... <laughs> Bird, birds! My mouth bleeds! pedals! Doo-doo. There they are! Bird, What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Almost lost my cool there. I'm Mitch. I'm
1: Stephanie. And we're the, the Film, film Underdogs.
0: Underdogs. This week, Stephanie and I watched the film *Bike Club from 1999. Uh, we're going to get into some Pretty hefty details in it. So if you guys haven't seen the movie, please shut off the podcast and go watch the movie before you listen to it. Because we will be spoiling the uh, different parts of the movie. So uh, if you keep listening, don't blame us.
1: You've been warned. Warning. Spoiler alert. Warning. Spoiler alert.
0: Okay, Fight Club is basically about a very... Uptight and straightforward accident investigator who works for a car company. And he's going through some insomnia, can't sleep. And so he ends up finding the 12 step programs and he finds that uh, by going to those, he can let out emotion that he's able to sleep on the nights where he can cry. And through a series of things going on, he ends up meeting Tyler Durden, and together they start the Fight Club.
1: Can't talk about
0: that. Rule number one of Fight Club, don't talk about Fight Club. Rule number two, do not talk about Fight Club. So, talk to you guys next week, uh, since we can't talk about Fight Club.
1: So we have Fight Club from 1999, starring Edward Norton as the narrator, Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden, Helena Bonham Carter as Marla Singer, we got Meat Loaf in there as Bob Robert Paulson, and Jared Leto shows his face kind of in there. His character name was Angel Face, but we like to call him Blondie. And this movie was directed by David Fincher. Oh, yeah. And, of course, this is based on a novel written by author Chuck Palahniuk. Edward Norton plays the narrator. So he, uh, you know, as Mitch said in the synopsis there, he's pretty much living his life. Well, he's living a sheep I should say, in his boring day to day life, just drinking coffee, Starbucks, gotta drink the Starbucks to stay awake, but he's not really awake, is he? Is he really awake? He's all this insomnia. I don't know. he doesn't even know what's going on anymore. just all static to him, and
0: yeah, he's very tight laced and he never does anything outside of the ordinary until he finds. Through the insomnies, trying to go through his life and figure out what he needs to do in order to um, be able to sleep, and he stumbles across a support group, and through that he finds that if he can release emotion, then he's able to sleep at night. And so he begins going to every support group he can find, uh, whether it be for alcohol, drugs, Testicular cancer. He gets addicted. Yeah, he becomes addicted to the...
1: The release. The one that was really cool was the... I think it was for terminally ill, but it was more or less like... They were having them meditate and try to go deep in their consciousness so they could find a peaceful place, I'm guessing. I don't know. I just remember him going to his cave... But it was, like, really icy. I think it was cold in the cave. I forgot if she showed up first.
0: The cave did happen after she showed up because there was kind of that question in the air of, oh, is she going to be in the cave? But who should appear rather than her, but a talking penguin. Oh, yeah.
1: Slide. Is that what he says
0: Actually, I'm not sure what he said because one of my pet peeves with some of these movies are they'll have the soundtrack set just a little too high and it overpowers the conversation that's being had. And so part of the movie, I couldn't understand what people were saying even though we had the volume turned up because the music's so loud that you can't hear the conversation over the music. It was like being in a bar the whole time we were watching the movie. So, Talking Penguin in the uh, in his cave. At this point, Marla is showing up at pretty much every uh, every support group he goes to. And I think she's stalking him at this point, really. But he finds this very distracting. And so he can't get the release that he needs in order to be able to sleep.
1: Yeah, and I kind of called her intruding, yet intriguing to him, and I don't know. I think she needed the help, too, but she kind of, like, was there just to observe. I don't think she was there for anything else, and then... Of course, we didn't see it from her perspective. We just saw it from his that she was there invading his space and everyone else's and that she was the imposter when he was the imposter, but she was the true imposter.
0: Well, she was in a testicular cancer support group, so... Yeah. There's a little bit of, okay, she shouldn't have been in that one, but, you know, the rest of them, eh, they're both about equal on that, but he was being... He was uh, very offended that she was in any of them that he was in.
1: Yep. He seemed like he was repulsed by her. Well, again, you know, same kind of thing. He was repulsed by her, but then he was interested. There was something, like, she got under his skin. And so, somehow he wanted to maybe connect with her again, but not really. He, like, gave her his number... And they decided to go to the support groups on separate days when they wouldn't run into each other. but that was just that was just for show, I think.
0: Yeah, because in the process of that, he ends up giving her his number just in case they need to switch days or something to this effect. So there is definitely a intent to connect which I hadn't thought about this before, but at this point, he gives her the number to his apartment. Yep. And that's not where she connects with him at. Nope. So that's a whole twist there that I hadn't even thought about before. Um We'll get into that in just a moment. A big part of the narrator's job... In his actual job, he does a lot of traveling. He goes and checks out accident scenes, uh, determines how much money they're going to be paying out on accidents, and, and so he's traveling constantly. And on one of those trips, he ends up meeting Tyler Durden on a plane. They're sitting next to each other, and oddly enough, they have the same briefcase.
1: And Tyler is a soap salesman and he makes his own soap. I feel like there's some meaning behind that, but I don't want to get into it right now.
0: <laughs> well what was brought up about the soap is he makes his own soap and he makes comments through the whole interaction about the different properties of uh glycerine and the different chemicals that Are used to make soap, and talking about how they can be used to make explosives. That's right. Okay, so this is being talked about while they're on the plane. It's a very um, brief mention of the explosives, but it's there. They move on past it and go on to discuss pretty much... uh, Both of their lives to a certain extent. But not a huge amount about Tyler Durden.
1: Narrator dude. Comes back home. And there's no home. An explosion in his apartment. All of his things. And also one thing to mention about him was. He pretty much bought everything from Ikea. He always tried to have like. The catalog life. This is how. Your. Living quarters is supposed to look, it's just supposed to look like this picture. And you have no kind of individual thought in that or anything. Or
0: And he was a completist about the catalog on the uh, furniture. He wanted to have the whole collection of whatever was in that picture. He couldn't have other things mixed into it. He had to have that whole, that scene is what he wanted. So, it goes to show kind of a obsessive-compulsive side there, too.
1: Yes and no. I mean, it was a whole materialism thing. And also, he only had condiments in his refrigerator. He never had, like, actual food in there. All his money was spent on stuff he didn't need. He didn't really have, like, any kind of self yet.
0: It was all basically for show. Of course, I guess if you're living a life in a suitcase and you're never at home, what does it matter what you have at the house? But then if you don't care what you have at the house because you're never there, why do you need to have the complete set of IKEA, whatever stuff? Yeah. You know? So there's obviously an issue going on there. Yeah. Something that should be pointed out is, he doesn't just come to his apartment and find that it's been blown up. It's already been blown up as he's driving to his apartment. So he's coming around the block and, oh, here's all these fire trucks, uh, police, everything. And they are the ones who tell him what happened. So he wasn't in the area when this happened, which comes into play a little bit later. Yeah, I don't know that he uh, thought about calling Marla because I think she...
1: So he calls Tyler because he just has this impulse to call him. And of course, when Tyler answers, he's eating. And I just like, always thought that was kind of funny and interesting that he's just like eating the whole time on that whole little phone conversation. I want to think there's something behind it, but right now my brain is like, uh, I know what I know right now, what I think I know, but there's probably some theory off of that, too. Or it was just there because it was random.
0: <laughs> I think it went to show that he uh, doesn't care what other people think. Yeah. He doesn't care enough to stop eating while he's talking to someone on the phone. If he's talking to someone and he's eating while well, he's going to eat, while he's doing it, you know? Um, I think that's what it goes back to, and it's about that ego of, I'm more important than anything being said on this phone call, you know, and my stomach wants food, so I'm going to feed it. They meet up at a bar and sit there and drink.
1: And it's starting to, like, have Tyler feed into the whole anti-consumerism, that's, like, where it starts, of him, right. like, saying, why... Why do you want to live like this?
0: Yeah, why does it matter if your stuff is gone? You know, you can live without it. And so they walk out of the bar, and the narrator has nowhere to go. So he ends up asking Tyler Durden if he can stay with him. And he says, yeah, that's fine, but I want you to do something first. I want you to
1: hit me as hard as you can.
0: Which starts the whole conversation of why do I need to hit you? And he says, well, I've never been in a fight before. I want to, it's something I just want to do. It's something I want to experience. I want to be outside of the social norm. They end up getting into a fist fight right there. The narrator hits Tyler and this starts a fight. And they go back and forth. People come out in the middle of the fight and see them fighting. And they stand up and walk off together and have a good laugh about it. And, hey, that was a lot of fun. We ought to do this again sometime.
1: Well, I, like, really saw it as them getting off on it. I mean, they found so much thrill in it. That, I don't know, to me I could compare it to sex because they were just going until they couldn't take it anymore. And then they were just hanging out, smoking and drinking a beer with like bruises and blood. And
0: I think it actually is a lot like that because you have that release of a pent up energy that has been built up and built up and built up and never has a release. And then they found a way to uh get rid of that energy and uh, experience something outside of what you normally are allowed to experience, so this begins the seeds in their mind for Fight club
1: so after their first fights, they wander to Tyler's mansion. <laughs> no, it's like a total rundown house. It looks like a squatter would be living there and somehow they lived there and it was nasty. It was like I don't know, there were several bedrooms I'm guessing and the narrator happened to have his own bedroom. But there was some then the the basement kept leaking, like flooding. It was really bad.
0: Yeah, it was a multi-story house with lots of bedrooms, but I'm not sure why he was in the basement for part of it. It was, they never really got into that too much, but so they were going about their daily lives and at night they were going out to the bar. They'd go outside of the bar, start fighting. And one of the times when this happened, people came out. Couple guys saw it and they're like, Hey, that looks like fun. We ought to do that. And so this began the actual, um, fight club portion of the movie. This is where they got the idea. Hey, you know, we're going to create a group where you can go and beat each other up, but there's very specific rules to keep people as safe as possible. And that's where it goes into the list of. Uh, Rules. Of course, the first rule that everybody knows, whether you've seen the movie or not, is
1: don't talk about Fight Club.
0: And the second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The rest of the rules are based on someone can't keep fighting, or if someone gives up, you stop the fight. You don't keep beating someone once they're down. You don't We're not here to kill each other. We're just here to release this pent-up energy. One of the other important rules was if it was your first night at Fight Club, you had to fight. And that comes into play a couple times in the movies with people who come in. And usually the first time out, they'd get totally beat down and it was kind of horrific on that part of it, but for the most part, they did follow the rules of once someone was down, that was it, the fight's over.
1: I did think of Fight Club as you know, them realizing that they are their true selves when they get to fight. They're not having to be boring anymore and they're boring boring lives that they think is boring that they choose to live in it gives them some excitement to live for for once in their life.
0: After bike Club is started their boss has noticed they're coming in with uh bruises and beat up and such and this starts to cause a little bit more and a little bit more uh issue with their day jobs and so during the um, beginning of Fight Club, at one point, Marla had attempted to commit suicide. And she had even said that it was most likely just a uh, cry for help because, uh, she didn't take as many as she would have absolutely needed to to make sure it was done or She would have uh, come up with a better way of killing herself if she actually meant to do it. But she had taken enough of whatever the pill was that she would probably die if she didn't get some attention. So, she called the number that he had given her when they were going to the support groups. Which was to the apartment. And then, of course, she calls that number. It goes to the squatter house rather than the apartment. and. The narrator doesn't want anything to do with her for the most part. Uh, She starts talking. He puts down the phone, walks away. And then, Tyler Durden walks in, hears someone talking on the phone, picks it up, starts listening.
1: Well, then he saves the day, supposedly. And brings her back to the house and it's non-stop banging and banging and banging noises noises of banging and um narrator has to hear this all the time first he's like okay Tyler's with some chick and then boom oh my god it's Marla What are you doing here, Marla? And he's always cruel to her. He's and she leaves pretty sour faced.
0: Yeah, so she leaves rather dejected because she was trying to be social towards him, and he basically just treated her very poorly. uh, The narrator did, and then after she leaves, so the narrator and Tyler Durden get into an argument about, hey, why is uh, Marla? At the house. Why are you bringing her over here? And at one point, Tyler tells the narrator, Don't talk about me to anyone. Don't talk to Marla about me. That's not your place. And I thought that was interesting because it went back to the same rules as Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. You don't talk about Tyler Durden to. Marla, or anyone for the most part. You start seeing an interesting correlation going on there. You start wondering why is he so protective about who can talk about him, which of course ties in later. The narrator's getting fired and he tells his boss, no, let's look at it a different way there's a very specific formula that they look at and they say okay well how many of these cars are out on the road how much is it going to cost us for an individual accident if this particular thing goes wrong with it and they go through a very specific formula like this and say okay well you times this by this by this and if the answer is less than what it would cost to pay someone off out of court and make this go away, then we don't do anything about fixing the problem. We don't do a recall. If it's more, then you do a recall. And it's a very offensive kind of mentality that basically says the numbers are the important thing, not the human lives that are at risk. He's basically saying, you know, you can continue with this and fire me, I'll go let the cat out of the bag, or you can keep paying me my salary, and I don't have to show up to work. And neither of us want me to show up to work anyway, so let's do it right. He ends up being able to blackmail his boss, and they start using that money to support the soap company that they has started as a cover for Fight Club. Again, the soap comes into play later. There's multiple things about the soap. Part of it we're going to get into, part of it we won't. That's going to be if you haven't seen it and you're having everything spoiled. Well, there's one thing we're not going to spoil for you. You can uh, watch it on your own and be uh, horrified. Um, I mean, amazed at how that plays out. This leads into the full-on... Part of Fight Club. Tyler Durden basically goes in and blackmails his boss, and he's doing the same thing. They've got money coming in, so now they don't have to work. They can just focus on Fight Club. Fight Club starts becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Start getting people showing up at the house, but they don't really explain what it is at that moment. You just have random guys show up at the house.
1: They're actually people who were in Fight Club, like. Bob. Oh, that's right. Like they're all, they're just, it's like, it seems like they're being recruited to some new thing that we're not really aware of yet. And it's just like changing course and you're like, well, what kind of course is this taking now?
0: Through the whole movie, you're kept just a little bit off kilter. About the time you figure out what's going on or start to think you know what's going on, it likes to take a left turn on you and change things up. I haven't seen a movie in quite a while that does it quite that well. It does like to keep you guessing as to what's going on the entire time. And through the whole movie also, the narrator is narrating from his point of view. He's constantly talking about what's going on in given scenes. He's talking about his feelings through the whole thing, uh, his confusion, everything. So it adds a very interesting third person kind of uh, point to the movie you're not just looking over someone's shoulder you're inside of someone's head but you're only inside of one character's head so you're not sure quite what else is going on in the movie that you're not seeing okay so they start having recruits show up for something that the narrator is not aware of and this begins to cause strife between him and Tyler because he feels like up till this point, Fight Club has been very much a team effort. It was the two of them that started it. They were both partners on the whole thing up till that point. Now all of a sudden Tyler is leaving him out of the loop on something that's going on that seems to be pretty big because there's recruit after recruit after recruit that was in Fight Club now is showing up outside the house and standing there waiting to be let in to whatever else is going on.
1: Eventually, we are told that it's called Project Mayhem. And of course, the narrator asks, what is Project Mayhem? And the first rule of Project Mayhem is you don't ask questions.
0: You don't ask questions. That's repeated over and over. And that's the whole theme of the movie is... The first rule of whatever it is is... You don't talk about anything.
1: I think it's also... Tyler tried his best to keep the narrator in the dark about it... As much as he could so he could take control over it. And he couldn't have the point of reason called the narrator the narrator was the you know the devil and angel on the shoulder thing well the narrator was more of the angel and tyler was more of the devil he wanted to shut out the conscience the the voice of reason
0: uh tyler started down a darker path and the narrator is kind of still pulling back and saying "No, no no hold on we can't go that far and so, uh,
1: like, Tyler was pretty much turning the the men who were in Fight Club, kind of just turning them into followers. He was becoming a weird leader where he was making them into...
0: Kind of a kind cult of, army.
1: Yeah, a cult army where he was just trying to tear them down. And I know they kind of do that, I'm guessing, in the military a little bit.
0: Oh, not a little bit. They oh. It used to be a lot worse than what it is now, but... Oh the whole point was you break someone down and then rebuild them back up the way you want them built. And that's kind of what they did in uh, this movie is they tear people down, make them feel like they're nothing, and then you start saying, okay, now this is what you do. You do what I say when I tell you to do it, and it uh, starts building back up from there. But it was a very... Mind control, very uh, specific, you do exactly what you're told, no room for pre-thought, you know, you just do what you're told to do.
1: Yeah, my strange analogy for (laughs) Project Mayhem is basically Tyler turned these sheep into individuals with Fight Club and then turned them into sheep- with Mad Cow Disease for Project Mayhem, basically, just because they're, like, not really anything anymore.
0: Yeah, they definitely turn into something a little more sinister. Like any group, they tend to start getting that hive mentality of you do whatever you have to do to protect the group overall and they start losing that individual thought of what's right, what's wrong. You know, the benefit of the group is more important than an individual, basically.
1: It okay. started to become uh, the Tao of Tyler Durden, basically. And everyone wanted to be a part of that. They thought that it was the right way because... He led them so far, you know, with Fight Club, and the only way they could go was his way because they didn't want to be
0: born anymore. This is where soap starts coming back into it, too. You notice that they're not just there doing the gardening and stuff like it originally appears. They're actually there making massive quantities of soap. Why this is important is they are not actually making soap, they're making explosives, which you can make using the same ingredients as you use to make soap. What ends up happening there is the narrator starts catching on to this and starts to see that something's not right. And there becomes more and more strife between him and Tyler. And at one point, Tyler was driving the car and... The narrator's in the passenger seat, and Tyler is telling the narrator that he needs to just relax and stop trying to control everything and let things take their course. And the way he shows him that he needs to do this is by letting go of the wheel, and he said, I bet that you can't even just sit there and let this happen the way it needs to happen. You're going to reach over and grab the wheel, which, of course, he tries to, and they struggle. And then finally, as Tyler's yelling at him to let go, you know, you just need to let go, let go. The narrator finally just goes back over into his seat, buckles up, and, of course, the narrator is in his first car crash. He's been on the scene of many, many car crashes, but he's never been in one himself before. And this, of course, starts a um, downhill spiral with the narrator as he's trying to figure out what's going on more and more.
1: I didn't really think about that before. I just thought about, like, man, that Tyler is like an adrenaline junkie and that's like another way for him to live quote-unquote, I guess. Some kind of thrill ride, some kind of something, another thing to get off on. But yeah, he was in his first car crash, and he survived. And they have never done anything violent. They did deface a building with, like, neon paint or glow-in-the-dark paints to make a smiley face to pretty much to face capitalism, because they were totally against that.
0: Yeah, the group itself was about, to this point, was all non-violent acts of rebellion, basically.
1: But then they go to a convenience store. Basically, Tyler goes in there with a gun and has the narrator wait out back. And, of course, he's shaking in his boots, like, what the heck is he doing? Why is there a gun? What is he gonna do? And then Tyler brings out this kid, probably like, like, tw- like maybe early twenties.
0: Early twenties. He's just he should be in college, really.
1: Yeah, it's basically uh, Tyler has him on his knees with his gun to his the back of his head, and pretty much trying to figure out. You know, at first it seems like what the heck is going on, and then. He's pretty much asking him, like, what did you want to be? Like, he he looks at his license and he's, like, reading off his name. And he's like, what do you want to be? And he's, like, a veterinarian and gets him to spit out his hopes and dreams. Because, you know, what? He's going to die. Why not
0: blurt yeah. this out? At this point, it just feels like he's being cruel and he's just being mean.
1: But then uh, the narrator kind of falls into it as well and yells at the kid to, like, hey, he asked
0: you a question. Tyler basically told the kid, I'm going to keep your driver's license and I'm going to come back and you have this long and you need to have made some progress on becoming a veterinarian and moving your life forward. If you haven't, I'm going to come back and kill you.
1: And as the kid runs off... Tyler says something about like oh I envy him because he's gonna have the best breakfast in the morning and basically because he almost died
0: (laughs) well he almost died and now he's being pushed into a direction that even though he had given up on it now he's being pushed into that direction whether he wants to be or not and it's that foot in the butt that Basically, it's saying, okay, you need to go do something with your life other than work at a convenience store on the night shift. So, as the story becomes more and more chaotic, and these things are happening, the narrator notices that, hey, all of a sudden there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of soap being made. And then he realizes that there's a plan afoot that is bigger than just one thing it's actually a uh, plan to blow up some buildings and he also discovers that Tyler's been going around the country starting bike clubs all over the country the way he discovers this is he finds a stack of plane tickets and so he starts trying to track down where um, Tyler has been and the thing he keeps running into is everyone's always confused whenever he comes in and says hey was Tyler Durden here and everyone keeps saying yeah you were here uh, whatever day it was and so there's this confusion on who is Tyler and who is the narrator it starts to work into this Um, psychotic kind of, he thinks he's basically starting to go insane and um, he actually is able to at one point track down where the buildings are that are going to be bombed and so for quite a while here uh, Tyler is missing out of this whole thing. He's trying to track down Tyler figure out where he's at. So what ends up Happening is a conversation between the narrator and Marla about their relationship. And he mentions Tyler Durden. He basically talks about Tyler as being a someone totally separate, which she's totally confused by this. And things start to click into place. And so at this point... He starts having to come to terms with the fact of what he's already starting to suspect is that he's Tyler. Now she's calling him Tyler. Things are starting to click into place as soon as they get off the phone, who should appear but Tyler. Tyler appears in the same room as him. At this point they start having the conversation about what's really going on and well, it's basically okay. because he just started talking about Tyler when Tyler said, never talk
1: about me. Well, he talked about him, and guess what?
0: The truth was exposed. Right, as soon as he started talking about Tyler, he realized, oh wait, there's a reason that you're not supposed to talk about Tyler. Because you are Tyler, and if you start talking about Tyler, it's going to just confuse everybody, and you'll have to pay facts that... You're the one doing the evil deeds. And then, of course, this goes into flashback mode for him, which uh, had some really amusing scenes with him beating himself up whenever he was fighting with Tyler, which I thought was kind of funny. I still don't get,
1: like, the whole fight club being started by these guys. Well, I know they're coming out of a bar, so they've been drinking, sure. But still, they see one dude beating himself up, and they think, "Oh, that looks fun. Let's uh, let's start fighting because some dudes by beating himself up." Like, oh, okay, that part of it was a little bit odd. But like, uh, narrator Tyler basically bolts, right? And then, yeah, or does he, he like he wakes up in the van though? When how does that happen?
0: Basically, he. Tries to go through and stop the bombings from happening. And everywhere he goes, he's running into members of Project Mayhem. And they're all saying, well, yeah, you told us that this is what you were going to do and did not let you do it. Project Mayhem is bigger than one person, basically, and to go on with it no matter what even I like, say. Even the cops were in on it.
1: Because they were part of Project Mayhem. I mean, not all of the cops, but.
0: Certain ones. So, let's get into some theories on this. We don't have to go into every single detail on this, but this whole movie goes down one road. You see two people, and then you find out the two people are one person. Okay? Now, my question is. Who all is real in this movie and who's not real in this movie? Marla. There are times uh, Marla walks out into traffic and doesn't get hit. Even though she doesn't look at traffic, it's a busy road. She manages to cross without being hit totally. And so is she real? Is she not? I don't know. In my real life, I do traffic control and I wouldn't walk out into traffic like that. So... I don't know, that's a little bit... That's a little bit odd. Uh, She also started showing up... After... The narrator was able to start sleeping. He was sleeping because he got the emotional release at the support groups. And then all of a sudden she's showing up and preventing him from sleeping. I've been kind of confused on that. Because everything... Everything in the movie happens... After he starts sleeping. The Marla thing. Not quite sure if she's real or if she's not. I think she is. But I don't know. What do you think?
1: I'm still not sure after you bring that up. I mean when he does the meditation. To think about his subconscious. And instead of the penguin. It's Marla. That appears. And the traffic thing. That's when I. The first time she was in the middle of traffic. And none of the cars hit her or anything or stopped or had to stop it was like hmm i wonder if she's real or not because I that's don't think really there
0: strange were even horns blowing at her it was like they were totally ignoring her so i i don't know maybe she was like his
1: emotional side but also like i don't know that's really hard because in the end it was like tyler was gone well brad pitt whatever extreme tyler brad pitt tyler was gone and then marla appears and it ends with him and marla i mean it's it is all fiction so it's like parts of it is like what's reality what's really part of the story what's like a a metaphor like traffic's not hitting her and
0: well and what's What's he making up in his own mind if he's already making up a totally separate personality that he sat and drank with and smoked with and whatever? Which, another interesting thing is you notice uh, that two of them, there's only one fight is allowed to happen at a time. And there's a reason for that, because you can't have Tyler fighting someone and the narrator fighting someone at the same time. Right. You never see anyone being affected by both of them at the same time in a physical way. There may be conversation going back and forth, but you never actually see a physical interaction between two people at the same time with uh, Tyler and the narrator.
1: And also, the, going back to Marla, not being sure about sure about her... Is uh, one thing that made sense with Tyler being separate from the narrator was, you know, when Marla would be over there, he'd be like, oh just like mom and dad, they'd always be like in different rooms and they'd be in the room at different times. I mean, I get that because then she wouldn't be there with the other- with Tyler, Brad Pitt, because that's all one guy. But she wouldn't be there, she would be there alone as well because the other figment can't be with the other figment. The other delusion can't be in one place with the other delusion.
0: So here's another thing that I just thought about, this just came to me, is was he actually an orphan? Again, only one person was in the room with him at a time. So was, were his parents a pigment of his imagination? Was there only one parent?
1: That was all just a a narration, man. That was all right
0: like... Now. But this is where my mind goes. It There's so many layers to this movie. It's like an onion. The more you peel it back, the more there is to peel back. There's so many different directions it can possibly go.
1: And also, why would... I mean, I get it. Like, she's a character... She's probably desperate, but why in the heck would anyone want to be, like, sleeping with someone in a run-down house that's, like, you're squatting in?
0: Well, she wasn't exactly high-class herself. I mean, she was hanging out in a support group, so there's some issues going on there to begin with. But, you know, there's that whole question, and especially in that bad of a house, you know, it's like, I don't know. Then, of course... You've got a question Did Bite Club and Project Mayhem actually have more people than just Tyler Durden or the narrator or the combination of the two? I think so, but at that point, it's all brought into question because how much was he actually making up in his own mind? It's just there are so many things that could potentially be... Hey, that's not an actual person who is there. Although, Bob, I'm pretty yeah. sure, was a real person. I was going to say, what about Bob? What about Bob? I really enjoyed this movie... for a, For the point that it... Made us really stop and think afterwards and just go... What did we just see? And in the end... Project Mayhem brings down basically corporate America and that given town. And as the world is falling, they're standing there holding hands and going, hey, it's a brave new world. The other question I have is, did the buildings actually fall? Right. That part of it, I don't know. Maybe
1: Bob was the only other member... And because he was the only one that was, you know, existed before he started sleeping. And he was killed.
0: One, Bob was the catalyst for him to be able to sleep in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because it was when he was hugging Bob that he was able to cry and um, release the emotion. So, you know, maybe Bob was the catalyst and then... Tyler is actually the one that killed Bob. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Possibly, yeah.
0: There's This movie leaves so many more questions than answers by far. Was there anything else specific that you were wanting to bring up or any other theories on it?
1: Well, there was one analogy I liked that I came up with that, you know, the narrator, Tyler Durden, he was living his life as a sheep in the beginning and then Tyler Durden, crazy Tyler Durden Brad Pitt Tyler Durden basically was showing that Tyler Durden himself was a wolf in sheep's clothing
0: <laughs> yeah that was kind of the uh, overall theme to it was he wasn't who he was Pretending to be, or who he appeared to be, it definitely showed the more dark side of it, and yeah, it was a very interesting movie. I'm probably gonna have to watch it again at least a couple more times to try and figure out all of the intricacies of how everything played together. But uh, yeah, it was it was something. So, what did you think of it overall?
1: It was definitely quite a trip. It was very bizarre, but my kind of bizarre. And as you said, there's many different layers to it that still need to be uncovered. I'm thinking about maybe reading the book just to figure out how the author thought of the the storyline and the characters. And maybe there's even more information there.
0: I'm sure there would be. Yeah. There's got to be stuff in the book that they wouldn't have time or space for in the movie almost always is i mean the only thing that i'm not
1: super psyched about in the movie is just all like the violence like i'm not like approved to violence it's just more like it was like okay yeah that's a lot of blood and fighting not really one that's into like watching fights. Like if it's a boxing movie, I'm be like, this is boring, just because I'm not. It doesn't interest me watching people beat each other up. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, I was actually surprised. I kind of thought that there'd be more fight club scenes than there was in the movie. Considering the movie is named Fight Club, I really thought at least half of it would be specifically about Fight Club and the fights that were going on, but it seemed that the fights that you actually saw were representing Tyler or the narrator trying to deal with something. There was some obstacle and uh, something emotional that they needed to take care of, and that's where the fights were happening, and it was always between either Tyler or the narrator And someone specific that had to do with the problem. And so there's a whole lot of layers there even that... Yeah. There's more layers to it. So 1 to 5, what would you give it? 5. Yeah, I, I think I have to go with that because there's so much to it. And this is one of the few movies I've actually been thinking about and talking about since we saw the movie... And we saw the movie uh, about a week ago now. It's really stuck with me all uh, this week. I've been thinking about it even when I'm not thinking about it. I'm still kind of trying to process, wait, what about this, what about that? So it did its job and made you, uh, it really made you stop and think about what it really is.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course... At my work, there were a couple people who, like, I'd be like, hey, I just saw Fight Club for the first time. And they're like, what? Do you live under a rock? And then uh, there was one coworker today. I said, hey, we're going to review Fight Club. You want to talk about Fight Club? And he's like, you know you can't talk about that. And they wouldn't budge. We wouldn't talk about it.
0: Well, he's the only one, apparently, that was listening to the first roll of Fight Club. The next movie that we're going to be reviewing is uh, going to be coming out here in just a few days. It's the Christmas movie, Krampus. It's the darker side of the Santa Claus story. This has shown up in historical lore for centuries... That there's a darker side of Santa, and if you're good, Santa will bring you something. If you're bad, then you get a visit from Krampus. And that doesn't go as nice and gentle as Santa Claus. It's a horror movie. It really looks like it's going to be good, so we're all very excited to go see this one. We'll be talking about that, and that should be posted right during December. Also, in case anybody's interested, during the interview with West Ramsey, he talked about a blood cannon made from uh, PVC pipe, some biddings, and a uh, Coke bottle. And I went online and checked for some of the uh, instructional videos showing how to set up the same thing, just in case anyone is curious about it and want to see how it's done and potentially make one of your own. Check out the show notes, and there's a couple of links that will take you to various instructional videos on how to make your own blood cannon. So if you're interested, go ahead and check that out in the show notes, and write us, let us know how it goes.
1: Hey listeners, be sure to follow us on Twitter at FilmUnderdogs or go onto our Facebook page, FilmUnderdogs.
0: Be sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher, BeyondPod, whatever podcast player you use, we'll be there. Always remember to follow your dreams
1: and stay inspired.
0: Those are hooves. Elk? Or a goat? goat? kind of goat walks on its hind legs?